Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. Welcome to episode number 14 of Graveyard Duck Podcast. As always, my name is Scott. And I'm Wes. Uh, this week we are taking yet another listener request. Um, been kind of a while since we've done our own picks, but you know, we've kind of said from the beginning, if listeners chime in and say they want to hear our take on a certain uh, game, I, I consider that flattery. So we're going to... Yeah, that's we're why we're here. I mean, uh, you know, Absolutely. So we talk enough about our nostalgia and things that we love about these games. So getting to hear other people's favorite games, like, yeah, we're going to uh, honor that as much as possible. So we've had a listener request for Contra. Um, seems only appropriate that we talked about this. It's kind of amazing that it didn't come up in our top 10 or, you know, first 10 games, but um, getting to it in its due time. So Contra, for those unaware, uh, has had several different ports and releases uh, developed and published by Konami. Um, probably the three or four most noteworthy versions of it would be the arcade version, uh, NES, Famicom, and then also the uh, Nintendo over in Europe. Those were kind of four very different takes on the game, and so they're. I think that's going to dominate quite a bit of our conversation is kind of how those four went. Um, mm-hmm. All releases came out in 1987. So there's really no delay between one region or another, but um, yeah, chances are if you grew up in you know the eighties and were into video games at all, then one of these four versions is something you've played and probably played a lot. So, Oh yeah. Uh, I would say let's kick it off the way we always do. Wes, what's your uh, early memories of playing Contra? I can remember playing a lot of Contra. I didn't actually own it, um, but I rented it quite a bit. And it seems like a lot of my friends either rented it or had it. And uh, so no matter where I was playing NES, it seems like I was playing Contra at some point in time. Um, I I just distinctly remember this being sort of one of the first really good co-op games uh, that I played. And, you know, at the time, I guess I was so used to like two-player alternating, the two-player simultaneous co-op was like this awesome, awesome thing. And, you know, what what better way to, you know, be introduced to that than, you know, the classic run and gun of Contra. Right. Yeah, I, I think this is one of those games that for me growing up was in every house everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of remember, you know, the neighborhood I grew up in, like there were... Uh, three, maybe four different people, you know, in the neighborhood that had a Nintendo, and they each kind of had their own little collection of games. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah. mine was Con- too, I could say. Contra was the one, you know, mainstay. Like everybody had Contra, and mm. everybody knew Contra. Everybody loved Contra, and I mean, it's still 
definitely up there. You know, I don't know exactly where it ranks, but it's got to be top 10 games of all time for me. Um, oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I just completely love it. The NES one is one of those things that, you know, from the day that I had the NES, I've always just known Contra. Um, mm-hmm. I had very little experience playing the European or the Japanese versions actually up until earlier this year. Um, mm. Although the arcade one, I do remember one time as a kid, probably in the very, very early 90s, the arcade in the mall where I grew up had the Contra cabinet. And oh, I only remember playing it one time and just thinking, like, this is weird. Like, why did they change Contra and make it different and bizarre? Uh-huh. And, you know, not realizing that at the time they were kind of made simultaneously and whatever. But to me, it was just like this weird, bizarro world version of Contra. And mm-hmm. I think I only put like one quarter in, got halfway through the first level. And it's just like, yeah, this is weird. And they're like doing somersaults and weird flips. And I don't, I don't like it. It looks too fancy and weird. So I quit, mm-hmm. but um, have since gone back and replayed it. And, uh, you know, think it's, it's, it's amazing. But um, I didn't actually play the arcade version until I don't even know when, because it's just, I mean, for me, Contra has always been so synonymous with the NES that uh, probably I'll bet one of the first times I played arcade Contra would have been the Xbox Live release on the 360, and that would have been at least over 10 years ago now. Um, And then seeing it at uh, Galloping Ghost and playing it up there. um, The arcade version, it's weird for me, like, seeing it now, because as a run-and-gun, side-scrolling kind of game, the arcade version is played on a vertical monitor. And that just seems strange to me because, you know, vertical monitors for arcade games, at least I associate more with overhead shoot 'em ups and, and games of that nature. So it just seems kind of bizarre. You know, like you said, it's, it's very strange to play the arcade version of Contra, especially if you're used to the NES one, it's so different. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it's just similar enough that obviously you recognize it all, but then there's just little tweaks that they change that mm-hmm. is enough that mm-hmm. you can't quite get used to it. But, um, yeah, I, w- I want to come back to the co-op idea, you know, for a second, because you mentioned that. And uh-huh. I think I think that that's one of those things that, yeah, this is one of those games like Super Mario Brothers that was just kind of the, the default two-player game. And, mm-hmm. you know, when your parents made you play with your little brother or your cousin, or, you know, when you were at a friend's house and they were both going to play at the same time, like, this was one of the two games that you know you could go to that was actually kind of fun to play multiplayer. Although... Yeah. I just remember it being like the greatest way in the world to piss off your friend because I was going to say, yeah, it could be also frustrating. It had that mechanic built into it where if, if one person tried to go too far and like pushed, like basically the, if, if one person was trying to progress the screen scroll and one person didn't come with them, they would die. Mm -hmm. And that was just like this unbelievably cutthroat thing that we used to do to each other. Like when my friends would piss me off and be like, I'm just going to keep running until you fall off the back of the screen and get killed. Yeah. Um, and it's like, For that me, was... I always remember it being level three, the waterfall level. Oh when yeah. It starts to go up. Perfectly. That's like the first test of how good of a co-op player you are. If you just take off and head up and just kill the other person. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too, cause they don't give you like double, the guns or options like no. so if that's everybody's too. Yeah. chasing for that spread and that's the you know they know uh-huh. it's coming like we <laughs> i mean we'd completely throw each other under under the bus to go get that and yep. 
You don't want to um, be the sucker stuck with the flame shot because I think it's terrible. Oh, it's the worst. Or like, you know, a bullet's flying at you, and so you jump over it, and the other guy wasn't paying attention, and they just get yep. shot. Like it's, I mean, it's complete <laughs> cutthroat game. Um, oh yeah. Yep. So so much so, and this is just how much you know video games or how prolific video games were back in the late '80s. Is I remember even my fourth grade teacher making some reference or metaphor. She was talking about like how you know everybody needs to work together on some project, and she's like, and if you don't, like the project won't work. She's like, it's kind of like in Contra. Like if you don't stick together, huh. somebody's gonna like get hurt. <laughs> I was wow. just like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But yeah, it's it, it is funny to think about that, and it's the kind of thing that I don't know if a game like that would really work today because. Oh sure, it would. I mean, well, I'm just saying, like in terms of far between, but you know, with everybody being so like you know, hugs and kisses and touchy feely, like to have a game that's that cutthroat, I think like people would get nah, too pissed off. No, I don't know. There's still games that are cutthroat like that, and I'll give you an example: of, is the new Super Mario Brothers series. Like, if you've ever played multiplayer, like, New Super Mario U or uh, New Super Mario Brothers Wii, where there's potentially four people running around on the screen. Now, granted, when you die in that one, you just kind of spawn back as a bubble. But it's still frustrating, because, and I speak from experience, because um, when New Super Mario Brothers U came out on the Wii U launch, I think I played it one time with Shannon. Like, I got her to play it with me one time, and the only reason it was one time was because... Uh, I had this habit of, uh, you know, going really fast and running through the level as quick as I can, which occasionally <laughs> would allow her to fall into a pit. And then she would respawn as the floating bubble and just kind of float around. And, you know, New Super Mario U, you have to just jump on it to pop the bubble when they fall or whatever. But I wouldn't do that because it was, you know, she was slowing me down. So uh, <laughs> looking back, I'm probably not the best person to play co-op with because I tend to, you know, do crazy shit like that. But. Yeah, the only other game I can think of that did the same similar thing was in the original Super Mario Brothers, where if if player one paused the game, mm-hmm. like because only controller one was had the capability to pause it. So if player oh, two, yeah. if player two is playing and player one hits the start <laughs> button, it'll pause it. But if you mm-hmm. do that while they're mid jump, then when it unpauses, they just fall. They just and fall. Yeah. we, I used to do that to my sister all the time when she's like jumping over a pit and she was Luigi. But <laughs> Couldn't you, I, couldn't you do that in Duck Hunt, too? Because Duck Hunt, you had to have the zapper in, in port two. And I think you could pause with the... I know you can move the ducks with the D-pad on, on player one side, but I think you can also pause and really fuck up the timing, too. I think that's right, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> the, the age original of trolling. The age of being a dick to your friends. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, definitely a good co-op game. I think it's one of the earliest examples of that and just something that I think it really kind of sticks out as a game that, you know, two people could play together. And unlike something like mm-hmm. Mario, where you alternated turns, like it was a fun way to play at the same time. And, yeah. you know, as a kid, there's no better way to force teamwork amongst children than to put two people in front of a game of Contra and see how they work together. That's very true. Um, you know what? Fuck all these corporate team building exercises. You know, we should just play Contra at work and learn how to work together. If every office building in America had a Contra co- cabinet in it, I think you know what I'm productivity our country would be fine. Or, you know, people would have too many bruises from being punched in the arm from their co-op player. Yeah, it would happen. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's just effective, it's fun, it's it's a great way, you know, to see how well you do work together, like like mm-hmm. we said. Um, 
And it's funny too, that, you know, in a fast paced game like that, you do have to cooperate. And like you said, the waterfall stage is a perfect example of (laughs) figuring that out. Um, Or what about even the second stage? I mean, somebody always gets caught in the electricity, you know, trying to move forward and you're trying to shoot the, the doors open. Yep. And there's bullets flying everywhere and nobody ever seems to know how to duck. So I don't but, know. but I remember too, that like in, like as a kid, when you're not as good at games like this, I remember thinking like, I would want my friend to come over and help me play Contra because like, yeah, if there's two of us, then when we get to stage two and stage four, like, all right, you can take out the guns while I focus on the, you know, little eyeball oh, yeah. thing or the mm-hmm. boss of stage three, like you take that arm, I'll take this arm. And it's just, it's going to be so sure. much easier this way. And it turns out it's not, but you think it is. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I, I don't know. It's like, you can't sit and strategize too much because one of these, I think it was the, the Famicom version, maybe I'm wrong. It's one of the versions, like if you, if you just stop and play to where all you kind of do is rack up points without progressing, it sends mm-hmm. little things that like try to kill you. Um, huh. and I, I can't remember which game that is, but I, I think it might be the Famicom one that where, yeah, if you're just like, I'm aware of that racking up extra points without progressing the screen it, it sends something out there to like take you out but um oh, so yeah, i don't remember that um speaking of co-op though i do want to just make a, a quick technical note um for a game made in 1987 i think it's um it's a phenomenal bit of programming what they've achieved on the contra cart because there's hardly any flickering or slowdown mm-hmm. uh, even with two players playing simultaneously, I think this is one of the the smoothest uh, two player games on the system. Definitely, which is yeah. really cool. That, yeah, it's been a very uh, it's been a very long time since I played the two player mode on this, but I do remember that that it's it's not a heavy slowdown type game. Like, and that's no, it's just like playing single player, really. Right. So, um, okay. So I think that. Uh, yeah, obviously it's a good co-op game. It's obviously a super fun single-player game too. Um, yeah. What do you think well, about would, the? I would even add that um, there's just a, a feel to this game. I think when you're playing it, there's a, and it's hard for me to describe it, but I think there's a there's a real um, tactile response that you get from the way that the game sounds and the way the game looks. And as you're playing, I think the combination of all those things really drives home the point that this game is one of the best on the system. And I think it's just from, as I was playing it for the show, I was thinking, you know, just from the get-go in the very first level, um, as you, when you shoot, your your character animates just briefly, like you kind of dip down just a little bit, like to, like, almost like it's the recoil of the gun. So between pressing the B button to shoot and, and the recoil, it, it feels, I don't know what the word is, I guess it feels heavy. Uh, where it's like, oh, this, you know, I, I feel like a real commando, like firing this heavy gun or something. And the first time you get the machine gun, which is rapid fire, and you're just, you know, shooting, holding the B button down, and it just, there's, it feels really good. And I think, uh, I think that's the other secret to this game is, uh, is how you feel when you're playing it. And I think it's the combination of all those things that uh, really sticks out to me as, as being, uh, you know, the classic that it is. Um, also, the way that your character moves and jumps, there's very little lag in the controls. So I think that that's something that it was designed really well to, to be a, a tight playing um, tactile game, if that makes sense. I may be rambling. No, it does. 
It, it does. And I think that, you know, there's, there's, there is something about it that just feels solid. I mean, the controls are tight. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the jumping, it's it's a little bit loose in the sense that, like, once you jump, it's not like a Castlevania where you're committed to the jump. Right. Like, yeah, you can, you can kind of fine-tune it a little bit as you're falling. But, but even as you do, like, it feels tight. Like, you feel like you have control over where he's going to land. And, mm -hmm. you know, in a game like this that has a lot of platforming, I'm never concerned, like, am I going to make the... I mean, well, there's a couple jumps like especially in the the hangar that it's like well am i actually going to make the jump or not but it's right. like i never feel like form unintentionally um, right so and it's, the other thing too i think that um you know like you said with the jumping i think the other thing that makes the jumping really good in this is the fact that you kind of somersault and you you almost turn into like you know almost like a metroid type ball but as you're as you're spinning and you can fine-tune it that also seems to decrease your hitbox so you know, it's not like other games where if like you just jump and your character kind of still looks like he's standing there and a bullet could still hit your legs or something. In this game, it feels like if you're jumping and you're somersaulting, that's a way that you can really dodge a lot of bullets. And that feels really good. And I think that was one of the problems I had with the arcade version is that yeah. you don't have that same kind of somersault flip. You're, right. You're more elongated. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It feels really strange in that one. Mm -hmm. So what do you think of the overall challenge of this game? Do you think it's one that is difficult? Do you think it's super easy? Like, do you think it's right in the middle? Like, how do you think this ranks challenge-wise? I think um, challenge-wise, just thinking back, playing it as a kid, I found it really difficult until I discovered the 30 lives code. And then it became really easy. But it's a, an awesome enough game that the more you play it, you know, the, like we talked about before, one of the benefits of retro games is being able to play them to master them. And I right. think that's one of the secrets of Contra is that the difficulty is just right in that if you memorize it enough, if you play it enough, and your hand-eye coordination and everything is on point, then this game is really satisfying to just blow through in about 20 minutes. So for me, I think the challenge is just about right. It's not overly cheap. Um, at times, it can be a little too easy. But it just, like I said before, it just feels good to just run and gun and just obliterate everything in your path. Right. And, you know, the, I, I think you're exactly right about the, the challenge for what it was is when we were kids. Uh, that 30 lives code is something that I think every single one of us knew about. Um, oh, yeah, it was a godsend. You know, and, and that was, that Konami code was so prolific that I don't even remember the full context, but somehow my, the best man of my wedding, like, fit it into our wedding toast, even. Oh, that's um, so, Did it was make just... everybody, like, move their glasses, like, up, up, down. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's just, like, it was the kind of thing that everybody knew that code. Mm -hmm. Even if, mm -hmm. you know, you weren't huge into video games, you at least knew the Contra code. And I don't remember ever seeing you know anybody that i you know grew up with play this game without it and right they, yeah I mean, back in the day it was just an automatic like you play contra of course you put in the code like why wouldn't you um well yeah because if you're playing co-op i mean yeah odds are somebody's gonna burn through about 20 or 30 lives mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it now wasn't real for uh two seasoned players to co-op contra without a 30 lives code oh geez yeah um yeah, I, it wasn't until I think college that I decided I'm going to give this a shot without that. And I think mm -hmm. I've told this story on a previous episode, but it fits here, so I'll I'll tell it again. But um, it, yeah, my 
I think junior year of college, I was sitting in our dorm room and I, you know, pulled Contra out and put it in and was playing it. And my roommate was like, Oh, you're playing Contra. And he noticed that I didn't put the code in. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to try this. Like, see if I can beat this game without using the, the 30 lives code. He's like, Oh, that'd be awesome. And so I started going through and I was actually doing pretty well. And like halfway through the game, I noticed he got up and left and I continued through and was in the, you know, level eight, you know, the alien layer. And there was one spot where like, I almost, you know, died or just barely avoided one of the like puff balls that the alien mouths spit out. And mm-hmm. like, as I just narrowly missed this, I just hear this loud gasp behind me. And I turned around and the door to my dorm room had been propped open. And there were at least 20 people standing in the hallway watching because uh-huh. word had spread word had spread through the whole dorm that like somebody was going to beat Contra without using the 30 lives code. And like everybody came cause they wanted to see that. And, mm-hmm. you know, to a bunch of people who weren't even that big of video game players, to my knowledge, it, it was just one of those things where, yeah, in, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands, everybody knew what that meant. And yeah. it was a big enough thing that people wanted to see it happen. Um, which mm-hmm. I, I still just think that's so funny. Like that, video games were that prolific in our you know generation sure were. people knew yeah. what that meant yeah. um mm-hmm. so yeah long story short i did do it and it was you know no pressure or anything like that but you know the right it was, it was just kind of fun to be able to say that oh now i've done it but i also had you know a, a crowd um but so did they like whisk in and like pick you up and carry you on their shoulders like down the hall and was there like this big victory celebration and yeah it was kind of like at the end of it was like at the end of Karate Kid. It was yeah, yeah. yeah some, some of that. Um, but you know, and and then since then, that's kind of the only way I ever play it. Um, yeah, same here. Is you know, with without the thirty lives code, and you know, now and then I'll screw up somewhere and I won't be able to beat it. But you know, that's part of the fun of it. It's like, oh man, I almost mm-hmm. got there. Um, right. Playing the arcade version for the first time, or no, I'm sorry, not for the first time for this episode. Um, that's one where you don't have an option other than just to, to play it as is. And mm-hmm. I like the way that it's set up because you can't just feed, you know, a ton of quarters into the machine and play with unlimited lives. One quarter right. gets you, you know, the three lives and two continues. So a total of, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that is, nine lives. And yeah. that's it. Mm-hmm. So putting another quarter in mid game isn't going to increase the number of chances you get. It just lets mm-hmm. you try again once you run out of all of those. And so uh, knowing that I kind of had a finite number of chances to get through this, I was impressed. I made it up to the alien heart at the end, but I couldn't quite kill him. So nice. I haven't seen the end of the arcade, but I at least got there. And it's like, you know, that's to me, that's like the perfect level of challenge for a game like this. Like you said, mm-hmm. you can get through it in about 20 minutes, which is a perfect length. Um, yeah with a little bit of mastery, you can do it. Um, the listener that requested this episode had been, you know, challenging me on Facebook to try to do a, you know, no, a no death run. Um, mm-hmm. Sad to say I could not quite get there, but um, yeah. How far did you get before you died? Um, well, I was playing the, the Famicom version, mm-hmm. which I learned later is actually the difficult mode. Like when you, when you beat the NES game and you can then play kind of like, the second quest air quotes and mm-hmm. it's it's more difficult the famicom version is that difficulty from the beginning um right which ba- basically it's what that means. very There's similar like, to Mega Man. 
Exactly. Uh, there's yeah. a couple extra enemies on the screen. The like the red pawn type characters, they can they start shooting at earlier stages. They'll start like ducking and shooting, you know, in certain stages. So it's it, it's a little bit tougher to get through some of the stuff. And I don't remember. I think the the snowfield maybe is where I got before I died. Um, okay. Yeah. And like as soon as I died then, which also meant that I lost the spread gun, it just got me all yeah. flustered. And then like I lost like five lives in a row, like right after that. And it's like, wow, oh, I'm done. No. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that uh, thing happened to me on the ice level because uh, in the part before you jump over the um, uh, the the three islands, as I call them, and yep. there's the guys in the water that are shooting up at you. Yep. That's the only part where you can get that screen clearing item. Yep. So I always get the screen clearing item, and it kills everybody on the screen. But there's always one other guy that's hiding in the water. Yep. And if I haven't played the game for a long time, I always forget about that guy. And sure enough. I got killed by him, lost my spread gun. So well, and there is a difference in the NES versus the Famicom in terms of the like the blast radius of his little bullets that he shoots. Because uh-huh. in the NES game, I've never had a problem getting past him, even though he didn't yeah. get blown up by the the screen clearing thing. Um, but in the Famicom version, I you know I died trying to jump over him almost every time because my timing wasn't uh-huh. tuned to that. Okay, and, so you uh, don't actually shoot him and kill him. You try to just jump over him? Yep. Interesting. Okay. Yep. I just time so it yeah, and wait. Those enemies, I always point diagonally, and I, I wait until they pop up, and then I shoot them. Except for that time, I forgot. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. Yeah, and it's funny that there are just, like, little things like that that you do differently. Like, I remember the first time that I was playing and got to the, the snowfield and realized you could actually kill those big spike tanks because... As a kid, my trigger oh, finger, yeah. my trigger finger was never uh-huh. fast enough to kill him. So, yep. unless I had the laser or something like that, I wasn't able to. And so then they'd show up, and I'd basically just knew, like, well, here's where I'm gonna die. But then it like moves off the screen, and then I keep going. But that was just an automatic thing. Every time I played this as a kid, was both of those tanks are going to kill me. Did and, you not have an disadvantage as a kid? Did you? Did you not get one for Christmas or birthday or anything? Uh, I didn't have that one. I had the... Oh, or did you have the Max? I didn't have the Max either. I had the, the Joy-Con. I think it was... I forget who it was made by. It was the dark gray one that was thicker, like the uh, Famicom hmm. controllers, and it, it had a little headphone jack in it. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the Hudson controller. Yeah, the Hudson. Uh, that's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because, yeah, we got a gray one, I think, and... Uh, the Famicom one is is the red, but yeah, okay. I was yeah, saying because so, uh, once once somebody got a turbo controller and started playing Contra, I mean it was it was way easier then because then instead of having you know just a pea shooter, you had a machine gun all the time when you had the right. turbo controller on. Then those vehicles were no problem at that point. Well, and it's it's funny too how there's just little things that you learn as you play it, like. I always had a trouble or had trouble as a kid dodging the bullets that they shot till one day, all of a sudden I realized like, Oh, if you go to the very left of the screen and turn oh, yeah. around, they yeah. completely miss you. Um, yeah. they just sta- right. right. In stages four or two and four, those um, where there's the cannons on the wall that are shooting at you. If you stand just oh. off center, they miss you. Um, but yeah. your bullet still goes to center. Um, the boss well, kind of like, uh, was it the end of stage seven? Was the uh, right before you get into the alien lair? Those two guns that are at the bottom of the screen that are firing up. 
and yeah. dropping the guns. Like you can just stand all the way at the door, pointing up at the sensor, and shoot it, and you won't get touched by any of those bullets. Yep. Yeah. Um, the the boss at stage three, the waterfall. Like once you kill the arms, you can stand just off center, shoot up, yep. and you still hit his mouth, but the bullets oh, go yeah. past you. There's like yeah. so many little secret standing spots that mm-hmm. are in the game that you um you can take advantage of. But like as a kid, like you know some of those, but not all of them. Um, right. The more I you also, play, then you remember them. Yeah. I also remember as a kid playing this, the boss of stage six, the big like giant alien thing. Uh-huh. I never realized that you could jump over him. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, isn't so that like crazy? You don't uh, think that you can. Yeah, because he's huge, and it's just like, there's no way I can do that. So it's like you mm-hmm. maybe try to time running under him, but most of the it, it's just yeah. like, yeah, he's going to charge at you, and you're going to die, but I've got 30 lives, mm-hmm. so hopefully I have enough to kill him. But right. yeah, then all of a sudden, that one time you finally realize, like, oh, I can jump over him. Like, now he's, like, mm-hmm. super easy. But, right. yep. yeah, it's it's all of those little tricks that you kind of, pick up on as you as you play more and more but um and that's what's great about it because the more that you the more you play it and the more you learn those little tricks and stuff then it becomes really satisfying then when you can just clear it on you know four lives or one life or whatever having picked up all of those little tricks throughout the way and then you learn it and you play a perfect game i mean that's that's the zen of contra to me at least is right um picking up all of that applied knowledge from just executing like a perfect game right all right so should we talk about some of the differences here we kind of mentioned it earlier and it's it's a big enough topic that uh yeah yeah i mean we we can start right off the bat by talking about the different um names for the game Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. it's it's what i think this is one of those things that is still uh what's the word i want to use uh misrepresented more than any other game because Mm -hmm. the game is contra here in the u.s Mm -hmm. And there's talk of, you know, another version of the game out there called Grizor, mm-hmm. which most people think like, oh, that's the Famicom Japanese version, mm-hmm. which it's not. Um, right. The Japanese version is also just called Contra. Um, and mm-hmm. the funny thing is, if you look at the Famicom screen, it's got three kanji on the front screen that you think like, oh, that translates to whatever contra means and it it doesn't mm-hmm. it's it's just a pure phonetic way of spelling or of sa- sounding out the word contra but it actually meant like uh, i don't know something about gauze or something ridiculous like it doesn't actually translate to anything um right but it was just so that they could have the phonetic saying of contra mm-hmm. um Grizor was actually the european name of the nes port because mm-hmm. when contra first came to Europe, there was so much censorship in Germany at the time, actually, that like they thought Contra was going to be way too violent. So they right. completely remade the game as Probector, um, or I'm sorry, Probotector. Probotector, like, yeah. Yes. Where they replaced the, the humans with robots, uh, mm-hmm. changed all sorts of graphical stuff to make it, you know, not people killing people. Uh, but then, right. so Theirs was Probotector, but then Grizor was what they called the Japanese and NES version of the game. So it's it's one of the most confusing things ever, and right. people people still misquote it constantly. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I, think I think that's really interesting. The the difference, at least as far as the European release, um, because I didn't know until several years ago that um, it was a like a, a German 
ratings board basically that kind of said, um, you know, we're going to limit the amount of violence that uh, you can have in something that, um, you know, the kids would, would play or whatever. And right. especially um, there was a lot of restrictions as far as the um, depictions of war and depictions of like warlike violence. Um, and I think this is, you know, a perfect example of how you take a game that is so completely in the aesthetic of 1980s American type movies and adapt it for a, um, a much stricter um, review board, I guess, if that makes right. sense. Right. Yeah. The um, and I'm actually gonna correct myself. Earlier, I said that all versions of this came out uh, the same year, '87, which is not true. That was just the arcade version. The others did come out later. Japan '88, uh, US '88, Europe '90. So there was a little bit of a delay there. That was my mistake okay. earlier. Um, but yeah, I think one of the most interesting things about this is that as you play those three versions of the game, the the Famicom, the US, and the PAL version, like most regional differences aren't that noticeable or, or there's small mm-hmm. little changes that don't change that much about the game. But in this case, it's like, these are almost three completely different games. And yes. I, I really like that because especially for it being a game that I love so much to be able to go and play, you know, Probotector where it's like, okay, the gameplay is identical to Contra except, Hey, everything's robots now. Like that's kind of fun. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. It's very different. You know, yeah, there's little changes, like the, the colors of certain things are different. There's things that were animated in the NES that are not in the, the PAL version. But, like, for the most part, everything is 100% identical. It's just that you see a bunch of robots. Um, sure. It's just, it's weird. It's like a Twilight Zone version of a game you know really, really well. Um, well and that's the interesting thing is with all these different versions, it's almost like having... Um, director's cuts almost of a movie or something like that. Um, or it reminds me like, uh, like Blade Runner, for instance, you know, you have like four or five different versions of the original film. And that's like contract kind of feels like that to me a little bit between the NES one, the Japanese version, the European version, the arcade version, they're all variations on the same theme. Right. Interesting. So the yeah. only thing I feel bad for is I feel bad for the people that grew up playing the PAL version because um, I don't know if you noticed this playing it, but you know how like the music's a little bit slower and the game's a little bit slower. Um, and I'm not I'm not an expert on this, but um, from what I understand, a lot of the older style arcade games and NES games stuff like that ran on 50 hertz PAL, which made them run slower than 60 hertz NTSC. Right. So uh, I don't know. When I was playing Protector, I was like, oh, that's weird. Like the music is slower and different and kind of strange yeah which almost made it a little bit easier because things weren't coming at you as fast but it yeah for sure because my my timing you know playing for 30 some years of this it's like i'm used to it being this way so i was almost like dying more often because yeah my timing was slightly off to the slower uh, gameplay almost um so yeah, that that's Probotector, which, like I said, gameplay is almost identical. There's a few little mm-hmm. graphical differences. Most of the enemies just kind of turned into robots instead of people. Um, yeah, it seems like but, there's less variation because it's like you either have the red enemy robot and you have the blue automated turret, and that's really about it, from what I can tell. Right. So. Um, 
and then yeah the the major differences we saw came in the you know the uh, Famicom versus the NES and mm-hmm. if i understand this right it's because in the Famicom they put a separate chip into the actual cartridge yes which which allowed them go ahead i was going to say the um, a lot of the uh Konami games on the Famicom do this because um in Japan i guess it was easier to add um extra chips onto the board, like an MMC chip or things like that. But my understanding is in the States that Nintendo of America had a certain cost per unit that they charged third parties for creating the cartridges. So anything that had extra memory or extra chips or anything added on would significantly add on to the cost that Nintendo would then pass on to the publisher. And it's my understanding, I think, that in Japan, that wasn't necessarily the case. Like, you know, developers were free to just kind of add a little bit more, you know, onto the onto the Famicom version board to be able to to get you know a little bit better game out of it, better sound, better graphics, um, things like that. It wasn't really a price issue as I think it was over here. Right. So, so yeah, that that allowed individual games to do more than the console itself yeah. was capable yeah. of. Um, a prime example would be Castlevania III. Um, if you if you play the NES version or if you're familiar with it, and then play the Famicom version with a really good sound system, you'll hear a completely different soundtrack because yeah. uh, the VRC3 chip, I think it is, or VRC chip, um, adds so much more depth to the music. And the same with Gradius II and um, Lagrange Point does that as well. Yeah. Uh, so basically what that allowed them to change here you know between the famicom and the nes is well there's there's three or four you know major differences which if you've never played the famicom version like it's it's so undeniable how much better the famicom is because of these additions but first off there's much more story to it so instead of it just being title screen and then game starts you're in the jungle Mm -hmm. there's um screenshots of you know actual text uh, simple little animations where it kind of like explains the background story. Um, then it starts out and it actually shows you a map, like ghouls and mm-hmm. ghosts style map of the whole oh, yeah. area that you're going to go through, including the jungle, the first base, the waterfall. Like you see the snowfield, you see it all. Um, there's an overhead island, you know, map showing you what that's going to look like. And it's, it's just really cool to see your character kind of progress along that map between each stage because it shows it to you again. Um, there's also little cut scenes between each stage where your character shows up and says something like, you know, I've, I've checked into checkpoint a or something. I'll mm-hmm. now infiltrate, you know, kind of little stuff like that, which isn't there. Um, as the game goes along, there's just tiny little differences throughout the levels. Like, uh, I noticed that the, the trees in the jungle like are actually like waving. The leaves are mm-hmm. waving in the Famicom. Uh, the waterfalls in are much more detailed. Um, the like alien layer, like the the uh, platforms are actually like kind of pulsating and moving. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, there, so there's just lots of little differences. There's snow in the snow field. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. It's just, it's so much more depth to a game that uh-huh. it doesn't affect the gameplay whatsoever, but it makes it feel no. 10 times more detailed. Yeah. Uh, like I was saying with it being sort of a director's kettle, but like that's that's how I felt. I discovered the Famicom version a few years ago and was just like, 
holy shit, like this is way different. Like there's so much more, you know, like you're saying, like there's more story to it. There's more graphics. There's more detail. Um, you know, growing up with the NES version and seeing the differences in the Japanese version was was a real treat. Right. You kind of felt that way too because I was getting texts from you, you know, before we did the, um, before we started recording the show, you know, the first time I think that you played the Japanese version, you're like, holy shit, there's snow and there's all yeah. this like yeah i know right yeah it was it was very shocking to see that much difference and you know a lot of games i'm familiar with the famicom versions this is one that i had just never really picked up mm-hmm. and so to actually <laughs> see all of that many differences to it but it actually does yeah it really does so i don't know had you noticed any other differences between the the three home consoles then we could talk about the arcade a little bit too but not really um i mean outside of what you talked about really I and mean, there's those are the major differences that I can think of. But other than that, I think they all play pretty similar. I mean, not really. There's not really anything else that's different as far as the the enemy patterns or behavior, from what I could tell. I mean, some of the I guess some of the bosses are recolored a little bit. I know, and like like you were saying, like Probotector, um, before you get into the hangar, the the guy that you can jump over. I know he looks almost totally different. He has the same colors in Probotector, but he doesn't have the horns. Like on his helmet, for some reason, it looks more like a like an astronaut helmet. I don't know. Yeah, they tried to make him more robot and less. What's I don't know. I guess. I, I guess. <laughs> I Censorship know. is something that's never made sense to me. So. Right, right. Well, and it's funny too because, like, you know, if you look through like the the instruction manual, for instance, like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't name like any of the bosses or or anything like that. So it's like whoever the fuck this guy is, you know, it's just like I don't know if he's got like this viking demon helmet on or now nah, let's just give him an astronaut helmet i don't know yeah when i was a kid we used to always we we assumed and i mean there was nothing to actually base this on like we assumed that his name was contra because we didn't know what contra meant so we just always assumed like oh it must be that guy right so that's oh, contra like we just called him contra in front of the base yeah he, he doesn't yeah. want you to get in because you know that's his name and this is his base so. yeah and i never thought that it was a base that he was guarding because the way it, that that doorway is like illuminated and everything. I always thought it was more like a dance club or nightclub. So it's like, oh, it, it, it looks like it's it's like yeah. a train station, I think. Yeah, or like a jukebox or something. So it's like I was always thinking like, oh, we got to kill this guy so we can get into the nightclub. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of co- colored lights and things. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, I know, but that that was the fun of growing up and playing these games that didn't have you know, a lot of backstory already established is it allowed you sort of the creative freedom to just come up with your own random shit. Cause that's what it felt like going into a, like a jukebox or a dance club. I don't know. Very weird. <laughs> that's really funny. Um, okay. So yeah, the, the arcade version, we could talk about that just a little bit. It obviously changed um, a lot of stuff. We talked about the, the jumping and, and that, but the uh, graphics obviously completely different. It's much more updated uh, a little bit fancier looking. The bosses were mostly the same. Uh, I think by the time you get to stage three at the top of the waterfall, like that version of that like alien gate thing mm-hmm. is completely different. Um, and then it really kind of changes once you start in the snowfield because there's no hard cut between the snowfield, the energy base the hangar and the alien layer you just kind of mm-hmm. move straight from one to the next um so it still has the same number of stages it's just without that kind of break between them um 
they put some of the bosses in a little bit of a different order. Like you fight that kind of overhead uh, spaceship that drops the uh, like discs that is at the end of the snowfield in the NES version. It's like right at the beginning of the snowfield in the arcade. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's another big difference, and I can't remember what it is now. Um, maybe the the big guy that I used to say was Contra. Like I feel like you fight like two of him. Okay. But um, yeah, otherwise a lot of it's very similar. You still get into the alien layer, and it's the same big mock xenomorph head, and then the heart and all of that. But um, oh, you know what? One of the other differences, I guess, um, if you haven't touched on it already, in the arcade version, uh, base one and base two actually have uh, directions that you go in. Yeah, yeah. You don't have a choice as to which direction you go in, but it just right. adds, adds a nice like little a touch. Map up there, and you're kind of you know making turns and and going through. Um, you know, directions, I guess that is a little different. Yeah. It, it tried again, it adds that depth and tries to make it feel yeah. like I'm not a fan of it, but you know, I get it. I get what they're trying to do, but mm. I don't know. Yeah. I think it works. Yeah. All right. So what else do you want to talk about here with, um, with this game? We've got a couple little tips and tricks that I can throw out there, but um, yeah, I think um, what I touched on briefly earlier, but I just want to make another point again is um I think what is really interesting for me about the original Contra is just, you know, how much it's just wrapped up in the zeitgeist of the 1980s, you know, whether it being sort of a ripoff of Predator, Aliens, and Rambo all thrown in to one mixture, or if it's, you know, the name Contra around the time of the Iran-Contra situation, and just... Everything about it, as far as you know, sending in the one-man army to just clear out the alien invasion, is is so perfectly 1980s to me that um, I think that's why I love this game so much. Is it just it, it encapsulates that that time period so much better than um, than you know I could anticipate, I guess. And looking back on it, you know, when it came out, it's like you didn't really think about it because that stuff was everywhere, but you know, looking back on it now, it's just like this, I, if somebody were to say, you know, pick, you know, several different things that would, you know, uh, give me an idea of what the 1980s were like, uh, Contra would be on that list to be like, here you go. This, this is exactly what we were thinking at the time when this game was made. You know, this is the kind of shit that we were watching. This is the kind of stuff we were playing and this is the kind of stuff we were exposed to. And I think that it's just, a great time capsule of that era. If you didn't grow up when this game came out, if you're playing it now, you know, for the first time or something, I think it's important to look at it in that historical context. Yeah, no, I absolutely think you're right. And especially considering, you know, the, the main cover was a complete rip of predator. Um, right. Yeah. So, um, Which came yeah, out I, in so it totally makes sense. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's just, I don't know, like, like I said, you couldn't go to a single house that had an NES in the late eighties without seeing this game. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew the Konami code. Everybody could probably still, you know, hum the theme songs to some of the stages. And yeah. it's just, it was so prolific. Um, uh-huh. And I oh, think yeah. still is. I think that Absolutely you know, it is. The, the sequels were not great. Uh, some were better than others, but I don't think that it's the franchise that like still is alive and thriving necessarily with modern gamers but four on the ds was probably the last really good one mm-hmm. i would say um but it still didn't have near the same like following that you know the original did but it doesn't need to because know. people I, I still super know the original. Has that. and contra 3 definitely 
Counter yeah, three I, did, I, but I mean, you're, you're even talking Counter three. You're still talking, you know, early nineties. So ninety one, ninety two. Operation yeah, so you, on the Game Boy, that was a huge game, though. I'm just saying it's been a while since that's yeah. really kind of happened. No, that makes sense, yeah, because um, I remember Contra Legacy of War on PS1. I didn't play that one because it just looked terrible to me. I will say the PS2, um, the uh, Contra on PS2, the first one, um, that one was, was kind of a return to Contra 3. I don't know. I, I guess, well, and I, I forgot to mention uh, Contra Hardcore on the Genesis, because that one is freaking awesome. I never and played it. It is incredibly difficult. Um, the American version is much, much tougher than the Japanese version, but uh, we'll have to cover that for our show at some point. I'll be curious to know what your thoughts are on that one, because it's totally bizarre and off the wall. It's like you have, you know, a Contra dude to play as, you've got a woman, there's a Wolfman guy, and there's like this tiny robot. And there's all different, like each of them have different power-ups they can get. And uh, there's branching different routes that you can choose and stuff like that. It's it's awesome. Well, I mean, Contra Force is another one that... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Forgot about that. Which is not even really a Contra game. It was something else that was reskinned as Contra. Yeah, but a lot of fun. Uh, I don't think it holds up. Mm-hmm. But it was one that I rented quite a few times as a kid and had a good time yeah. with it. So it's Too bad you didn't hold on to it now. It's worth a shitload of money. Is it? Yeah, oh, well. I was going to say something too about the uh, the Konami code. I read somewhere in doing research for the show, but um, apparently that was left in the game kind of as a, like by mistake because I guess a programmer had put it in during the development of the game to kind of make it a little bit easier and play test and stuff like that, and then uh, just kind of forgot to take it out. I guess mm-hmm. it could be an urban legend, but I thought it was a cool story anyway. That's interesting. Yeah, and of course it shows up in Gradius and you know, greatest three and many other Konami games. So it's kind of been synonymous with Konami for a long time. Which was the game that they put it in that if you put it in at the beginning of the game, that it it made the same like ding noise, like, you know, successful input. But then as soon as the game started, your ship exploded. Uh, Well, greatest three does that. If you, if the, uh, if you do the original code, but in greatest three, if you do up, up, down, down, and then L R L R, be a start then it gives you the full power up huh so it kind of um kind of messes with you a little bit that's funny yeah all right so we're running a little long here we can do a couple tips and tricks and then uh give some final recommendations sure all right tips and tricks so it didn't have a whole lot to go on here uh, i think that this is the kind of game where most of your tips are just kind of coming from I guess just playing it and mastering it. Like we, we kind of gave a lot of that as we were going along, you know, where to stand to avoid getting shot, um, how to play cooperatively with your friend. But the, the game itself is best played by just experiencing it. Um, but that's not to say that there aren't some little secrets hidden in there, Easter egg, you know, style. Uh, the first one, obviously, which I'm just going to throw it in here because where else would I put it? Yes, if, if you are completely unaware and have li- been living under a rock your entire life, there is a code that allows you to have 30 lives. Um, if when this game starts, you press up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, and then start or select start for a two-player game, gives you 30 lives per continue. Um, again, it, it feels ridiculous that I'm even having to announce that or say that out loud because yeah. there might be somebody who doesn't know it, but Hey, it exists. Um, there are several other things in the game that are similar to that. 
Unfortunately, a lot of them are for the Famicom only. So if you have access to a Famicom, there's some hidden things that you can unlock using other codes such as that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a sound test, for example, where if you press A, B, and start at the beginning of the game, it'll unlock a sound sound mode where you can hear all the different tracks. Um, there's also an option at the very end of the game. As, as soon as you beat the alien heart, but before you before the credits start rolling, hold select and start through the entire credit sequence, and then don't release them until afterwards, and you actually will get another little message from Red Falcon basically swearing vengeance against you or something like that. Hmm. Um, again, it's Famicom only. Uh, a third thing that's Famicom only is if you press select, then start, and immediately hold up, left, A, and select, um, it opens a stage select mode in the Famicom version. Hmm. Um, which is another kind of thing that's just kind of hidden in there, makes it fun to play through some of the stages or later stages. Um, and the last one that I had to throw in here, because again, it's based on having no knowledge of any of this kind of crap when we were kids and you know having nothing but instruction manuals to go off of. My friends and I could never figure out what that damn R gun did. And Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Everybody that we talked to said the same thing. Like, yeah, they didn't think it actually did anything. Or yeah, we had rapid fire Falcon in the instruction book. Right. And our speculation was that it was meant to do something else and they just forgot to program it because we could never notice that it actually made any difference. Mm-hmm. Um, as it turns out, it does. It increases the number of bullets that you can have on the screen at a time. Um, the problem is like on the side scroller stages, it's very hard to notice the difference, but it is there. Mm-hmm. If you, when you're in stage two or four, uh, if you have well, really any gun and you get the the rapid fire falcon at that point, you'll immediately notice how many more bullets are flying across the screen. But that's just because of the the frame rate of things going up the uh, scan lines versus across. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it it does increase the number of bullets they have on the screen. It makes a considerable difference. Um, but you know, for thirty years of playing this game, I was just always convinced that like it didn't actually do anything significant. And yeah. Yeah, it it feels like your bullets are faster, but it's so hard to tell. Right, right. So anyway, that's all I've really got. It, not really much of anything for for this game. Like I said, the yeah, I mean, most fun. It's going to be pattern recognition and um, hand eye coordination is really right. the strict of this game. Yeah, playing through all of these stages, and it's like, I mean, some of the stuff I just take for granted because again, I've been playing this game. You know, I play through it at least once a year and have for 30 straight years. And it's just, there. there's certain, it, this is a game of memory, you know, and finger memory. Yep. And there's a certain way I play it every single time. And I, I started to notice that because then when I'm playing the Famicom version or the arcade version, it's throwing me off mm-hmm. um, because these are just not, they, they don't, uh, they're not compatible with that, you know, finger memory that I have. And so, you know, little things like in the energy zone where you have to duck under certain, you know, fire jets as they shoot across, or, you know, like, don't jump here, you know, because you're going to get hit by the one coming down from the ceiling. Um, there's just little things like that that you just kind of know, but they're, it's, it's hard to teach that other than just you play it a lot. And I think it's really satisfying to just play it so many times that you learn those kind of things on your own. Hmm. That's true, though. I mean, you know. It's just you have to play it to you know to really know it. I right. guess I don't know. There's no other way to say it. 
So what would be our uh, overall recommendations here? I think goes without saying, but uh, yeah, absolutely fucking play it. <laughs> Still yeah. up to this day. Yeah, I think it's one of the best games ever made. Uh, the challenge is just perfect. The length is perfect. It's fun. The music, we barely even talked about the soundtrack, but I mean, yeah. goddamn, what a phenomenal soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, just like almost every Konami release on the NES slash Famicom, they all had amazing soundtracks. Yeah. Mostly because of the, um, I forget the exact name of the sound team, but um, you would know a Konami soundtrack if you heard it. Absolutely. And yeah, they were all awesome. Yeah, and the uh, controls are tight for the game. Mm-hmm. The levels are super memorable. Um, I mean, it's it's just so ingrained in you, and the the nostalgia just like oozes out of this. Like, yeah, I don't, for sure. I don't don't know a better way to put it. But um, yeah, it's just it's it's hard to imagine a game that's really any better than uh, Contra. So mm-hmm. if you yeah. have not if you have not played it by the by all means, like for the love of God, go play it right now. Um, yeah, you have no excuse. So, yeah, it's available everywhere for everything. So, although I am very disappointed by the lack of uh, virtual console support for it, um, you can get Super C everywhere. Mm-hmm. But the original Contra is actually somewhat difficult to track down. Uh, so, if you, I mean, luckily the cartridges aren't terribly expensive. No, um, not like they were for a while. Um, about ten. 15 years ago, they seem to be really expensive, but they've kind of cooled down now. Uh, and if you have a DS, then I know that the original Contra is hidden in Contra 4. Oh, yeah. So is uh, um, Super C. Right. In there. Yeah. So there are ways to, to get it and play it legitimately, but um, yeah. I'm, I'm really shocked that it hasn't had, you know, it didn't get a Wii Virtual Console release. It didn't get a 3DS Virtual Console release. It's... Wasn't there something though regarding the and the whole thing with the Iran Contra affair, which is why Super Contra was named Super C at the time? Wasn't there some whole thing around then? I seem to remember, like you couldn't you couldn't call it Contra or you couldn't say Contra because of that. I don't know. Maybe I mean, I there's know, that's the there's, reason for it. I don't know. There's speculation that that's part of what the uh, Probotector name came from. Right. Yeah, um, it, I don't know, but. Um, but if nothing else, yeah, I'm not. Yes, also buy Contra for because it's awesome. Yeah, and it's on there. So I'm on there. Oh so, yeah. All righty. So another great suggestion from a listener. Uh, mm-hmm. Glad we got to cover this one. So thanks for yeah. suggesting it. Yeah. Uh, it. If any other listeners want to suggest some episodes and uh, hear us talk about their favorite games, Wes, how do they do that? Uh, well, there's several ways you can do that. You could uh, get in touch with us via Gmail at graveyardduckpodcast at gmail.com. You could also follow us on Twitter at Duck Graveyard. Um, you could also find us on Facebook, uh, Graveyard Duck Podcast. We've got a page on Facebook that we um, occasionally post some fun stuff to. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's probably the easiest way is to, to do it. So. All righty. Well, um, I don't know. I, I think I might actually go downstairs and play another round of Contra before I go to bed tonight. So right. I think it's time to sign off. But until uh, next episode, I'm Scott. I'm Wes, and just remember that Contra can be played by either one or two players. If two play, play as a team to survive. Game over.